Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we resuscitate King Kong Lives. Okay, I am Sebastian, and I am here with Jennifer. Hello. And welcoming back to the podcast, Troy. Hello. Yay. And tonight we are talking about King Kong Lives, the <laughs> little scene uh, sequel to the 1976 remake of King Kong. Obviously, we're doing this to sort of celebrate Kong's return to the big screen recently in Godzilla vs. Kong. We wanted to revisit some lesser-known Kong adventures. Now, before we talk about this, I do feel we need to discuss the 1976 King Kong a little bit. This was a very important movie for me. It was one of the seminal films of my young life. I was obsessed with King Kong at a very young age. I had the poster for this movie on my wall as a little boy. And I would stare at it for hours. This was with Kong jumping across the Twin Towers, holding a destroyed airplane in his hand or something. I still don't know what he was holding in his hand. If you ever see the poster, it's really hard to tell what it is he's holding. In the movie, he attacks helicopters. I'm looking at it right now. It just looks like carnage is what he's holding. <laughs> it almost looks like a spaceship or something. Yeah. I have no idea what it is. But I was obsessed with King Kong and Godzilla. I desperately wanted to see this movie. I knew it was coming out. I would see pictures of it in magazines or something. I don't even know where I was seeing pictures as a six-year-old boy, but I was seeing them. And I got to see it in New York City while visiting my grandfather who lived there. And my dad took me to see King Kong. And unfortunately, before we went to the theater... My grandfather, who was starting to go a little senile, had given me milk with my lunch or whatever. And I guess the milk was spoiled, although I didn't realize it at the time. So we get to the movie, and I've been anticipating this movie as much as a like seven-year-old boy can anticipate anything. And I got a big hot dog and an orange soda, and we sat down in a theater in Times Square to watch King Kong... And I don't remember how far into the movie I got, but I don't think it was much past the scene where we first see Kong with the natives and Jessica Lang being sacrificed or whatever you want to call it. But at some point, I projectile vomited all over the person in front of us. 
And my father was humiliated. He took me out of the theater. I was so upset because I was being denied my Kong. I'd wanted to see this movie so bad. Thankfully, a few weeks later, my grandmother graciously took me to see it again, and I did not throw up. And I loved it. And I remembered I would watch it whenever it would come on TV. So this was my King Kong. Despite the fact that most people hold the original 1933 Kong in the highest of estimation, I would be lying if I said that that was my favorite Kong because of very heavy nostalgic reasons, the 1976 King Kong is my favorite version of King Kong. When King Kong came out, I was only three years old, so I saw this later on television. It was on TV a lot. Yeah, it was on TV a lot, and I, when I saw it, it was a big deal, and it had a big impression on me just for its scope. It seemed like one of those films that was massive, like it seemed important. And I think it was just, it was probably the John Barry score. Yeah. Because I remembered it being one of those epic movies. Yeah, it has an epic movie feel, even though it's a ridiculous movie with a man in an ape suit. Yes, and I, I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and I just watched it now, and man, does it have a different feel <laughs> than it does now, than when I was a kid. And, and it gave me nightmares, most of all because there was that scene where when Kong breaks out in New York and just starts walking over all those people, that stuck with me and traumatized me. That really, like there was one scene where he goes over to Charles, Charles Grodin and yep. just squishes him. Yep. And I have to say on the, the version I just watched on HBO, I think they cut a shot out of that because I, I, I remember him lifting up his foot and there being just a squished hat yeah. into the ground. And that wasn't there in this version. So that may be a, uh, what do they call it? Uh, Mandela effect. If it is a Mandela effect, it's the one scene I remember most from King Kong. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about, and it affected me too. And I feel like I've seen a version where you see some sort of crumpled clothing or something when he lifts up his leg, but it's definitely not there now, and I've not seen that since I was a kid. So I think it might be a Mandela effect where it was never actually in the movie. We're going to have to do some extensive research. Well, this Blu-ray that's coming out, maybe maybe there'll be a complete edit of it. All will be revealed. And and my my imagined scene might be put back in there. Well, there was a TV version, which I think had some extended scenes, but I, I doubt they would put dead Charles Grodin in the TV <laughs> version. But who knows? Well, this, this memory that I have isn't like a body. It's literally just his like Close. safari hat. No, it's just a hat, and and maybe that's what I remember as a kid. Well, they could show a hat. As if his lateral body like was pushed, pushed into the ground, yeah. and the only thing remaining yeah. was just the top of his head. I could see that being in a TV version because that's not very gruesome. It's almost cartoonish, you know. Like yeah. if that and and I've had that happen myself with TV you versions. You got pushed of into the ground, and only your hat was remaining. <laughs> and only my hat was remaining. <laughs> and it, it was like I just disappeared. No, I mean, I've had that happen when I have watched something, uh, a TV version of something when I've been young. Oh, yeah. 
yeah and it's just like it's totally confusing because then you see the theatrical version later and you're just like i didn't remember it that way so well, that's totally uh, true and most of the the movies around this time period these films i all i saw only on tv we never had cable and this was at the dawn of when you could rent these movies so a lot of these things were recut for television and i saw really bizarre versions of halloween mm-hmm. halloween 2 yep and the thing, which were completely like recut for for TV, yeah. So I have strange memories of some of these films, and maybe there there is a TV version of King Kong that'd be interesting to find out. There is a, there definitely is, but the difference between okay. the nineteen seventy six King Kong and the movies you're talking about is those movies were all rated R, so they yeah. had to cut a lot out. So they put in footage to pad out the running time. They didn't need to do that with King Kong. Right. So I'm not really sure what got added. Plus it was, you know, PG or whatever. So I think, or it might've even been G, although it seems unlikely when you see Kong's chest erupt into blood (laughs) while he's being shot by helicopters. But Jen, what's your experience with the 1976 King Kong? Uh, Similar to Troy, I, you know, I did obviously did not see it in the theater. I, um, first caught it on television as well. And I can't remember if it was on like regular TV or if it was on HBO or, or whatnot, but I, I just remember seeing it fairly young and really thinking that Jessica Lange was so beautiful. Actually, I have a lot of Jessica Lange memories at a young age because she was just really doing a lot at that mm-hmm. time. Yep. Um, also, All That Jazz was one of my first Jessica Lang memories too. And yeah, just anyway, that that's what I remember mostly. And also just as I normally do, I felt so sad for Kong. Like that, I wasn't scared of Kong or anything. I just felt like they were ter- treating Kong terribly. Like those are my first memories of, of seeing Kong, which they were. But they, like, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't scared of Kong. Oh, same. I cried. Yeah, I, I, no. I definitely cried yeah. when I was a kid and I saw this. Yeah. It just reminded me Just to that. touch on Jessica Lange quickly. Jessica Lange in King Kong was my first crush I ever remember having was her <laughs> in King Kong. And it was her first movie. It's her very first uh, film performance. Yeah, I didn't realize that. She was a, a model. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of scouted her for a, this. I think she's pretty great in it. I mean, you know, it's it's a first movie performance, but she brings a lot to it, I feel. I still enjoy the movie. I think there's a lot about it that I think is actually pretty interesting. I love the fact that it involves an oil company going out there to get oil from Skull Island. I like the character of Charles Grodin. He's a good comedic character, a good greedy oil man. Mm -hmm. I like um, Jeff Bridges as, what is he, a hippie ecologist or something like that. I don't know. There's a lot about the movie that I just really like. We won't get too much into it, but I feel like that stuff actually kind of holds up well as far as doing an adaptation of it. I would like to agree with you, but... (laughs) I never saw the 1933 version until I was really an adult and uh-huh. I could see it like as, as a film history study. Yeah. And, and I saw, you know, the premise of King Kong in itself is, is simple and perfect, right? Yeah. You know, you have this entrepreneur who's finding this thing that, you know, it's a spectacle and the movie's a spectacle and he wants to showcase it and make a lot of money and exploit nature. And I, I like that the 76 version tried to interject big oil and environmentalism into it, but 
when they when they bring out King Kong in New York and he's like in a gas tank. You don't love and, that? <laughs> That's amazing. Jen said she used the word cartoonish <laughs> earlier. Well, what's so amazing about that scene is they built a 40-foot tall King Kong robot and they'd really wow. tried to promote the movie with this giant King Kong robot because they were like, our Kong is really a giant ape or whatever. When really most of the time in the movie, Kong is played by Rick Baker in a pretty decent but silly gorilla suit. So yeah, they made this giant King Kong robot that could basically only move its arms. And it's only used (laughs) in like two shots of the whole movie. And it's in that scene where they wheel him out in front of a stadium full of people and he's inside (laughs) a gas tank because he's being used to promote their gas. But also (laughs) not, not to spend too much time on the 76 version, but you know, the, the original idea was this capitalist wants to find something to bring back and create a circus event of it. But Charles Grodin's character was so hell bent on finding oil that he was sort of sidelined by King Kong. He's like, maybe I could use this as like a mascot, yeah, but still try to sell a lot of oil instead of just showing the world that he made like the biggest scientific discovery <laughs> of, of all time. He's like, maybe I could somehow, I could con my way into getting people to buy more gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense to me. <laughs> all very plausible. But it was this, you know, it was the 70s, like, that was a, a topic of discussion then. A big oil was becoming a big villain and yeah. there was gas shortages. It was, it was very much uh, in the collective consciousness of, of everybody. And environmentalism was starting to become uh, a mainstream topic. So mm-hmm. I can see how, why those things were done in there, but yeah. <laughs> Another thing that's notable about the 1976 Kong, which will sort of come into play with King Kong Lives, is the finale doesn't take place on the Empire State Building. It takes place on the Twin Towers, which mm-hmm. we have yeah. lost to 9-11. Those buildings were the big deal at the time. They had just been built in the early 70s, and they were taller than the Empire State Building. So it made sense that they wanted this King Kong to climb the tallest building in New York City, which were at the time the Twin Towers. Now, the Twin Towers are not nearly as visually as exciting as the Empire State Building. So the climax of this movie, which is also the beginning of King Kong Lives or Mm -hmm. a truncated version of it, is Kong battling helicopters on top of the Twin Towers, which are basically just big these two big flat buildings so it's not visually very exciting and it's all shot at night so you just see kong sort of jumping from tower to tower as jessica lang sort of screams by a ventilator or something that was a big deal to me as a kid that it took place on the twin towers and i remember i visited new york city and i went on both the empire state building and the twin towers because (laughs) kong had climbed at both of them so I had mm-hmm. to go to the top of both. Because of Kong. That's right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess we should just quickly mention the Peter Jackson remake in 2005, which is a movie that sticks very closely to the original setup and even takes place in the 30s, but he adds about two hours of film <laughs> to it. I like the movie. I like Andy Serkis's take on King Kong, but it's 
totally the most bloated thing ever made, pretty much. It's way too much movie. So I still prefer the 1976 King Kong, but I would just feel remiss if I didn't mention it. So that brings us to King Kong Lives, the 1986 sequel to the 1976 King Kong, 10 years later. Now, this is made by Dino De Laurentiis, De Laurentiis Group, which the 1976 version was made by Dino De Laurentiis. He has a reputation as being, it's kind of hard to explain the thing about Dino De Laurentiis because on one hand, he's seen as sort of a schlocky producer and, you know, he's since passed away. But a lot of people who worked with him in the business before he passed away do comedic impressions of him. So he's sort of known as being sort of schlocky, but at the same time, he would make these big swings. He tried to make this 1976 King Kong be a modern epic or whatever. Now, King Kong Lives, the sequel, definitely falls more into his schlocky era of films. When you said you wanted to do a, a, a tentpole trauma of King Kong Lives, mm-hmm. I, I immediately I thought, why King Kong Lives? That doesn't even make sense. That's like a Golan and Globus straight to video. From what I remembered of it, I literally thought this movie was nope. straight to video. I thought it was from the Canon group Nope, and cost like 1.5 million to make. And and had nobody in it because I, I remember when it came out, but that's what I remember of it. And I had no idea once I looked at the budget of this thing that that this cost more than like Top Gun, which came out the same year. <laughs> it cost around $10 million, which to put it into perspective, the 76 King Kong cost $24 million 10 years earlier. So the 76 version was a much higher budget production. And considering, you know, the time and everything, it was much, much higher. This was a slashed budget in comparison to the original. But $10 million was still a lot of money in 1980. I saw it at $18 million. Well, they had that on. That's what I was going to say. They have on Wikipedia says yeah. estimated 18 million, but IMDb oh, okay. says estimated 10 million. So it cost 18 million. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in between. Um, Somebody's lying. It's probably whoever's lowballing it. That's usually how it goes. Which is IMDb usually is. Yeah. So IMDb has a low. So Wikipedia, that's what I was just pulling up. Wikipedia has it at 18. One of the things, well, there's a couple of things that are very interesting about how it did. It grossed um, like 4.7 million during its theatrical run. And oh, but overseas, it was quite a success particularly in the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. where it sold 53.6 million tickets in 1988, becoming the top grossing foreign film of the year and one of the top 15 highest grossing foreign films of all time. <laughs> so wow. the, the Soviet Union <laughs> loves King Kong Lives. <laughs> wow. This financial failure of the movie is also cited as being a, one of the movies along with Taipan that led to the bankruptcy of the De Laurentiis company. So, and they came back in a different form later, but it yeah. bankrupted this version of the company. I was just looking at the budgets and and I was trying to look at other films that came out in 1986. If, if the 18 million budget is true, which it probably is on Wikipedia, it's up there with Highlander, 
Star mm-hmm. Trek Four and Aliens. It was the same, virtually the same cost about the same amount of money as those films. And it's not up there on screen. <laughs> <laughs> and it looks just like those. Yeah, this movie looks cheap as shit. And that's what I remember about it. I, I don't even know if I saw it all the way through when it came out. And I think it was a video rental when I did see it. And because I don't even remember it, and this coming out in theaters. Uh, so I'm sure that I rented it but I probably didn't pay attention because when I watched it the other day, I never, I don't remember anything from this movie. I remember seeing a clip of it when I was a kid, when I was 13, when this came out and I thought it looked like shit then. So (laughs) I thought it looked terrible. And which is why I thought it was like a straight to video type of thing. It feels very straight to video, Troy. And I, I don't even remember having any sort of awareness of it, to be honest. Like I don't remember it showing up on television. I mean, I was an avid video store renter. I rented everything in the video store. I don't remember seeing this. I've seen this twice and both times have been because of Sebastian. (laughs) 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 Which is totally fine, it's fine. But I'm like, I'm just saying like, I, I don't think King Kong lives would have made its way into my world had it not been for Sebastian. <laughs> Let me bring up why I, it was even on my radar to begin with, which I dug through my old Fangorias. This is issue number 60. Uh-huh. Cool. Nice. Little Shop of Horrors is on the cover. Yes. I was reading these religiously during this time. So this is 1986. Of course, I was into Linda Hamilton. She had been in mm-hmm. The Terminator, and she... Looked really cute in Children of the Corn. (laughs) Okay, so here's an article about King Kong Lives. She's no second banana. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking a screenshot of this. (laughs) She's no second banana. The magazine article has a picture of Linda Hamilton posing next to a giant King Kong hand with the title, She's No Second Banana. Really needs to be seen. It's too bad we're not a video podcast. That's okay. I'm going to share that somehow or Troy will send me a picture of it. That's going to, that will be out there. This whole article is about Linda Hamilton. They interviewed her on set. I think they were shooting in Tennessee and. Yes, uh, they shot in Tennessee. Yeah. And she was saying how she was finally relieved to not just be a scared woman and Uh be a little bit more heroic. So she was pretty optimistic. Like this was going to be her big you know, break out of her mold role. Well, in some ways it is. It really sets the stage for her Terminator 2 performance. She also mentions her twin sister. I didn't know she had a identical twin sister. I did not know that. I don't think I did either. I was aware of this movie, but I did definitely did not see it in the theater. I think I was probably seeing Aliens or something much better than this movie in 1986. I do remember it showing up on cable. I'm not sure what channel it was on, probably HBO or something, but it would show up and be on a lot in the afternoon. And my entire experience with it was just watching scenes every now and then on cable and being like, holy crap, they made a King Kong sequel and it looks like this. And most of the time I would land on scenes that didn't even involve Kong. So I thought that he wasn't really even in a lot of this movie, but now having revisited it twice recently, I can say that he is in a a lot of the movie. And we should also say that this movie is 
impossible to find. So if you're hoping to watch King Kong Lives and listen to this podcast, good luck because it's not streaming anywhere. There's no American DVD even or Blu-ray. I think there is a DVD, but it's it's like $100 just to right. get the old DVD. No sane human being would ever pay <laughs> to watch this movie. So it's not worth it at all to try to track this down. You're better off just listening to us describe it. And it's probably about as compelling. I just want to again say, I just want to thank you again, Troy, for She's No Top Banana. That's like, that's my favorite thing that's <laughs> no, she, happened. She's no second banana. She's oh, no second, second so banana. So second banana. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That Yeah, that makes more sense. But even better. She's no second banana. She looks so happy to be standing next to Kong's foot. I was never really a, a big gargantuan monster movie fan. Not a big kaiju fan? No. Like, you know, when Creature Features came on on Saturdays and it, if it was a Godzilla movie or something, I was always kind of disappointed because I always wanted Frankenstein or Dracula or some flying saucer movie or something. So gargantuan movies always, even as a kid, just looked like somebody in a rubber suit trashing miniature sets. And now I kind of, you know, they're lovable now for me to go back and sort of find the subtexts in those movies. Mm -hmm. But as a kid, it just, it wasn't the kind of horror or science fiction that was really doing it for me. And I, I just quickly want to give a list of all the other movies that were coming out in 1986 <laughs> aside from this one that was supposed to be this this big production this big tentpole movie that was going to come out there was another friday the 13th part six jason lives also came out so that was my guy for this time like i'm not gonna go to see king kong lives if jason is living right and then it's also the same year that aliens and the fly came Great out Great movies so special effects the the bar was raised for special effects during this time tremendously. Not by this movie. <laughs> there was even a movie called FX that came out this year about special effects during this time. And the other movies were Highlander, The Hitcher, House, Little yep. Shop of Horrors, Maximum Overdrive, Poltergeist mm -hmm. 2, Psycho 3, Stand By Me, Star Trek 4, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Vamp, The Wraith, Big Trouble in Little China, and Critters. There's, so, like, with all that other stuff coming out in 1986, it's going to be hard to try to draw an audience to see this shitty King Kong sequel. A, a sequel to a movie that was 10 years old at this point. Yes. And that most people didn't really even like. I, you know, I should have mentioned that the critical reaction to the 1976 Kong was not particularly good. It made money, but it was not something that was beloved by many people. So the fact that they made a sequel to it 10 years later seems like an absolute act of desperation. I'm sure it was just because Dino De Laurentiis still had the rights to King Kong and was like, well, I got to do something with these rights and made this fucking crazy ass movie. But why don't we get into the movie? Yes. Um, King Kong Lives starts where the 76 movie ends, as I said, with Kong battling uh, helicopters on the Twin Towers. And it's surprising because, you know, it's a, definitely an edited version of that battle. But we still get some shots of 
Jessica Lange and Jeff Bridges in there, even though they don't factor into this movie at all. So it's really sort of baffling because you're like, oh, am I supposed to am I back with these characters? Are we going to catch up with Dwan and Jack from the 76 <laughs> version? No, we're nope. not. Kong gets shot up really bad and his his body erupts into explosions of blood and he falls down to the Twin Towers and dies and we hear his heart beating as he dies. And this is from the 76 version. I thought they had added this in for the sequel, but when I rewatched the 76 version, nope, it's there. And that's important because Kong's heart is going to be a huge factor in this film. I mean, I think it was the way you did sequels during this Mm -hmm. time was to recap. So it just seemed like how sequels were were done during this time. And, And also, you know, you put those two faces in your screen and it just ups the production value because it's like Jeff Bridges again and Jessica Lange. But they probably had to pay them for that. I'm sure they did. But but uh, they were big. They were a big deal in 1986, both of them. Oh, yeah. So it'd be sad if they were contractually obligated to Dino De Laurentiis to, <laughs> to just have their faces just stuck on the front of this film. But it made it setting off the tone of the film as, as this big deal by recapping that. So then we cut to Atlanta 10 years later. And we find that Kong has not actually died from his fall, but is in a coma and has been in a coma for 10 years. He's in this giant sort of warehouse lab that's full of like catwalks and gantries and all this stuff. Oh, I noticed in the credits that Ronald Shusett is involved in the writing of this movie. He was one of the writers on Alien. So when I saw his name, I'm like, Ronald Shusett had something to do with this. Also, I think it's important to to mention that they're in the Atlanta Institute. Right. Yes. A very famous institute. <laughs> that just comes on the screen. You see this building and it just says, there's a little subtitle and on the bottom. It says Atlanta Institute. So the basic setup is that Kong is has been in this coma for 10 years and they can just revive him if they can put in a giant artificial heart that costs $10 million. And the main scientist working on this is Linda Hamilton. So she's the one heading up this project of this uh, heart transfusion. I, I was not exactly sure what I knew there needed to be a transfusion but I just yeah there was there was some confusion as to what was going on and what the procedure was going to be taking place and I yeah I I was confused the main sticking point is not that they they have an artificial heart and Kong's heart I guess is still kind of working or whatever that was the confusion the problem is that he doesn't have any Kong blood. <laughs> in order for them to to put this artificial heart in them, they need another Kong. I thought it was just his blood was bad, like from being in a coma. And that's probably why the, it was confusing because Linda Hamilton says something about because he was in a coma for so long that his blood just went bad. She said, oh, it's not the heart as much as it's the blood. And then everybody looks at each other and they're like, well, where are we going to get more Kong blood? And (laughs) (laughs) the answer to that lies in Borneo, where we are introduced to our great value. (laughs) We're introduced to our great value, Indiana Jones, this character (laughs) named Mitch. And it seemed obvious that this was totally a riff on the Indiana Jones archetype and romancing the stone sort of archetype. 
He's this jungle adventurer, and he's out off in Borneo. I don't know. What is he doing out there? Do they say what he's actually doing there to begin with? I don't know what his exact mission was, but he's just out there no. riding on this donkey. And they he don't decides, say what he's doing there. Yeah. And okay. they decide that he's going to have a rest. And uh-huh. so the don tells the donkey, Oh, do you want to take take five or whatever? Or you want to have a siesta or something like that? He he grabs a python and he says, Excuse yeah. me, this is my bed. And he <laughs> yes. chucks this yeah. python and then like and then like throws his hands around a, a some palm leaves and starts yep. kicking back. Kicking right back into the hands of Lady Kong. <laughs> Now, Lady, and we should say that this, if, if I didn't say it before, this Mitch is played by an actor named Brian Kerwin, who I'm sure has done things, but I don't know who he is. Anyway, he leans right back into the welcoming arms of Lady Kong, who is a giant gorilla, much like King Kong, only she's got gorilla <laughs> boobs, which clues you into the fact that she's a female. So, she's a lady. So Mitch wakes up Lady Kong and she gets all agitated and chases him. But these natives emerge from the the shrubs and they're already armed with blow darts or whatever. And they shoot her with the blow darts and tranquilize her, which again was confusing because I was like, were they just waiting to take down Lady Kong or were they hired by Mitch? I didn't understand. Because he was such a ripoff of Indiana Jones, I thought these were like hired Sherpa type of people, like, you know, people that that he had hired and they were just waiting for him while he was taking a siesta or something, Uh just like hanging (laughs) out, hanging out in the in the shadows of the jungle Right. because they were immediately right there as soon as she moved. And they took her down almost immediately. They just blew like 10 darts in her and then conk, she's out. Whereas previously we just saw the opening where it took like three helicopters and an army to like take down Kong. Yeah, I guess Lady Kong's much less hardy than King Kong. It seems a little sexist, honestly. I feel like Mm -hmm. they needed to do more to take down Lady Kong. But yeah, she goes down without much of a fight at all. And so now Mitch is in possession of Lady Kong and wants to sell her to the highest bidder. So he's making all these phone calls to all these different universities, I guess, to sell Mm -hmm. the giant ape that he just captured. As you do. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, hey, look, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't done that once or twice in my life. But um, he gets a call through the the university that uh, Amy, as played by Linda Hamilton, is working for. They catch wind of this giant ape. And so Amy wants the blood. But she's also worried that if Kong sees the female, he'll freak out with sexual desire. So there's a little bit of a controversy about that. But they do eventually agree to purchase the Lady Kong ape, and they advance Mitch 10 grand for the purchase, which he's pretty happy about. And during the scene, um, to Troy's point, I think that he does have like this team or has hired people to be working for him because he seems to have things dialed in. Like he's taking these phone calls in this kind of hut treehouse situation while a seemingly native woman is like giving him a close shave 
And you know, uh-huh. he's, he's got he's got everything like he's drinking beers. He's got everything set up out in the jungle. So it, it seems like he he has. He's a man has about a the jungle, basically. I I see him as adventure kin. He kind of has that Indiana Jones <laughs> look, but he kin. also sort of looks like Ken and Barbie. So if just mm-hmm. think adventure kin with a, mm-hmm. a safari hat. Well, and he's got blonde hair, which I think was, I don't know if the actor Brian Kerwin is actually blonde, but I think they dyed his hair blonde because they have, they give Lady Kong a moment later where she sort of carries him around as if he's the Fay Ray character, mm-hmm. only they've, they've role reversed it. So I think that's what's going on there. He's sort of a himbo. So Mitch takes Lady Kong to America via a plane, which is weird that they just find a plane big enough to sort of sausage lit poor Lady Kong into it. And then when they get there, the press is waiting like she's the Beatles or whatever. They're (laughs) taking pictures of her and stuff, and that causes her a lot of distress. We get the first of what we'll, we'll see in many scenes, which is a person in a kind of terrible ape suit freaking out (laughs) and sort of screaming and crying it's actually kind of distressing honestly Mm -hmm. i know we're saying lady kong in case anybody's wondering if we're if we're being a little misogynistic or something her credit is lady kong they call her lady kong they call her lady kong yes that's the name of this character no i would have come up with something far more respectful but they call her lady kong so we have to not only is that her name in the credits i noticed yesterday when watching which i mentioned to sebastian i really appreciated that the kongs had the first billing like they are they're first listed in the credits (laughs) yes the 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 ape suit actors get the first billing in the credits so that's that's pretty nice are you going to talk about peter elliott yeah let's talk about him yeah peter elliott plays kong He's he's this big seasoned ape suit actor. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. No, Peter Elliott was in Link, and I think oh, he yeah. was in Clan, like Clan of the Cave Bear, and he was playing. This is what Peter Elliott does. So the person that was playing Kong in King Kong Lives, he's kind of like the Andy Circus, Andy Circus of the eighties. <laughs> yes, right. So cool. he's been in multiple roles as a simian uh, or a giant somehow neanderthal or something well if you're gonna do a king kong sequel you want the best i'm sure rick baker who played king kong in the original 1976 had no interest in being in this you know the the ape suits they're not actually terrible for 1986 i mean anybody watching it with a modern sensibility would find them hilarious they're not as good as the ape suit in the 1976 king kong and that has some sort of issues too because it's sort of silly and it's obviously a man in an ape suit or whatever but the face of the 1976 kong is really well articulated he does stuff in that movie that i think is pretty cool for like an ape mask whereas here we've taken sort of a downgrade Although they're not terrible. Like the ape faces still have some articulation and stuff and they can make different faces. Are you kidding? There's so much animatronics in this 1986 (laughs) version, which we'll get into. But the expressions that these apes make go far beyond the 1976 version. So you think that you say these are better ape masks? I'm not saying they're better. I'm just saying that the the ambitious There's more going on there is a lot more going on with these ape faces which we'll get into <laughs> 
Lady Kong is brought to the Institute and I think they keep her in like a whole other area or something because they don't want Kong yes. to see her. Like I said, they have her like a mile away. That's that was the whole thing. Like, yeah, they so they're running to... transfusion tubes a mile away. OK, I don't know. They had to keep her far away. I from think they Kong. are. I think that's true. Yes. No. Did they have them side by side, both unconscious? No, they're definitely not no. side by side unconscious. Okay. I don't know. I just remember her being like a distance away because they didn't well, they want keep her, to her a distance calm. away, but I don't know if they kept her there during the operation or if she was just in like another giant room. They don't show it to you, they didn't so you show don't really it. know what's going on. We just see her blood being pumped in via these giant tubes, and this is probably my favorite scene in the movie. Well, no, maybe not, but no. this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And this was a scene that for some reason I would see every time I turned on cable as when I was a teenager, because we get the heart transplant scene <laughs> and it's really great because they have these oversized surgical tools that they use to do the operation, like giant clamps and like giant forceps. They drop down on giant cables and lowered down to the doctors. <laughs> yeah, it's really awesome. At one time they have a giant bone saw and they go in and cut open Kong's massive rib cage with a giant bone saw, which weirdly has an American flag on it <laughs> on the that. clamp that carries the, the giant yeah. bone saw. Well, I guess it's American made and they're proud. Like what are they ever going to use that giant bone saw for ever again? It's only got one use, you know, and there's some complications. Like at some point they're like, we're losing him or whatever. It's done just like a cliche operation scene. Only everything is wildly oversized. And at one point they've got to take out Kong's dying heart out of his body. And it's just, they're just lifting it out of the, this crater. And they, they don't show, they show them looking over the edge of the crater mm -hmm. into Kong and lifting up his heart it's pretty amazing this is my favorite scene in the movie that I, I, there's this is it like i i could this is the best part there's like giant q-tips and giant swabs of things and it's you know it's very um incredible shrinking woman type thing yep. it's it's just i'm 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 so here for it i i love this scene it's an awesome scene uh my favorite scene is definitely coming later on. <laughs> I think I know what your favorite scene is going to be, but I could be wrong. Yeah. So the heart installation goes well and Kong is recovering. So they throw a big party to celebrate at the university. And at one point we unfortunately see someone waving a Confederate flag, <laughs> uh, which was just, you know, I guess something people did in the 80s more than they do now. Like Jen said, Lady Kong is being housed in a nearby warehouse, like a mile away or whatever. And so Mitch is in his tux and he's partying with the college professors, wondering where Amy is. But she's hanging out with Kong. And so she's there to welcome him back to the living when he wakes. But when he wakes up, he's immediately horny. And a tech <laughs> points out that he can smell Lady Kong a mile away. Mm -hmm. They originally wanted to have them 10 miles apart, but they couldn't. They were they were in the process of build. Con, they were building right. the warehouse and it wasn't finished right. yet. So they could only put her a mile away. And that just wasn't good enough. This movie, uh, the one motive that these characters have is basically they're horny. Like that is yes. what's yeah. propelling our story. 
<laughs> Kong is horny for Lady Kong. This is a thirsty, thirsty movie. <laughs> this is a really thirsty ape movie. Yeah. And in fact, when Kong wakes up, he starts doing this like ape groaning, this horny <laughs> ape groaning, which we'll see a lot of this from both of the Kongs, this sort of plaintive moaning for sex, which is pretty much the last thing you want to see people in ape suits doing. But he's so horny that it spikes his EKGs, and so they're worried that the heart transplant is going to go go wonky because he's just too worked up for Lady Kong. So Amy has to run to the party where all the professors are and tell them, like to your point, Troy, that the apes actually need to be further separated and that they're too close. And the professors promise to do that in 48 hours. And so we get a little scene between Mitch and Amy where they have their sort of meet cute moment where she's sort of putting him off, but he offers to drive her home. The sparks are really beginning to, to <laughs> fly between these two. And their romance is going to mirror that of yes. the Kongs. For the rest of the movie, it's, it's kind of amazing how much there's two parallel love stories and, and all the beats are happening at the same time. And they're about the same level of heat, which is ice cold. <laughs> Both romances are ice cold. It's like being doused in a bath full of ice cubes. It's really not in any way titillating, but I digress. Just because the, you basically can't find a copy of this movie, I just wanted to try to give a little more visual. Um, Lady Kong does have like a kind of a henna dye job look yes. to her. Yes. So I can kind of see why Kong is definitely trying to get at this Lady Kong. Listen, I sympathize completely with Kong. I mean, he's been on his own for how long? Plus Forever. he's been in like a coma. He's got to be really yes. horny. So I sympathize with him. Lady Kong is looking good. And you're right. Yeah, yes. she's got sort of lighter hair. He's he's much darker she's hair. Kind of a reddish tint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's a redhead. From this point on, though, because Kong at this point now is a horny bastard with a heart condition. And yeah. <laughs> what his character is equal to is sort of like a, a middle-aged man who wants to go have an orgy and do lots of coke, but he better watch out. Because he might not be able to handle it. That is the primary tension of the movie. <laughs> He's kind of clutching his chest at times, and and they're worried about his heart condition. And yeah. but they want him. They want to help him have this fantasy. So this yeah. is this is where we're headed now. Can Kong handle Lady Kong <laughs> with a heart condition? <laughs> Yeah, so they go to the warehouse to try to move Lady Kong, but she's spooked. And with good reason, because like the army shows up and starts, you know, intimidating her with their jeeps and stuff. I actually kind of appreciated the compositing here. There's some, I mean, look, it's 1980s and the compositing has come a long way, but they do some pretty okay moments where we see the giant apes sort of being close to the humans and stuff. It, it's a little bit improved over 1976, but not much. <laughs> but um, Lady Kong won't eat her 
sedated bananas that they're trying to feed her, like giant, giant piles of drugged bananas. And then they try to put her in this like sling net or something. And so she just starts freaking out. And that drives Kong absolutely bananas. And he busts loose from his... (laughs) Sorry. I had to. He busts loose from where he is at the lab and goes running to the warehouse. And then we get our sort of the vehicle destruction that we are accustomed to in a kaiju movie where he's throwing jeeps around and they're exploding and stuff. It's an action scene, basically. I just you brought something up that um, I meant to share earlier, but it's relevant now. Um, Because we're going to meet, um, I believe it's, is it Lieutenant Nevin? Is it Colonel Nevin or Lieutenant Nevin? Colonel Nevitt. Sergeant Taggart from Beverly Hills Cop. Yes. That guy? Yeah. Okay. But there's Colonel Nevin, who is John Ashton. Nevitt. (laughs) I thought it was Nevin. Okay. Well, Nevitt, who is John Ashton, who's a character actor in a lot of different things. I remember him mostly from being the dad in Some Kind of Wonderful that's, mm-hmm. you know, trade stool was good enough for me and it's good enough for you, his whole thing to like Eric Stoll's. So anyway, that's what I remember of him. But I found a very um, fun quote about the movie. And he said, quote, the movie is about Kong, about special effects and about Jeeps being blown up. he's not wrong he's not wrong at all this is a this is a parallel love story (laughs) if i've ever seen i think he's way off the mark on that one maybe his scenes he wasn't around for the real hot stuff the real romance kong frees lady kong and they send in bulldozers to try to bulldoze these giant apes and so then the apes knock over the bulldozers the army starts to fire on the apes but mitch like crashes a jeep into one of the army vehicles which allows kong and lady kong to escape into the hills and as they're escaping into the hills i guess at some point lady kong has gotten a boo-boo or something so kong is carrying her in his arms like a bride or whatever it's really really romantic Mm -hmm. and he's carrying her off into the hills so at this point I was actually thinking that having watched just watched the 1976 King Kong and seeing it without my nostalgia goggles and seeing how cartoonish the 1976 version was, this King Kong Lives, which I thought was going to be total crap, I was actually thinking the storyline was kind of working a little better and I was on board pretty much up until this point. Like, I, I liked the idea about trying to revive Kong, and then he he sort of finds a mate. But then right at this point, this, this movie quickly devolves pretty much into, like, First Blood meets Harry and the Hendersons. Totally. <laughs> it's, it's At this point, you've got... I, I'm just going to call him Sergeant Taggart from Beverly Hills Cop. I don't, what's That's his name? That's fine, yeah. Colonel Nevitt. So you just have the army chasing Kong and Lady Kong at this point through the hills. And you just have tanks and jeeps going everywhere and roadblocks. And then you have Linda Hamilton and uh, Adventure Ken trying to chase after (laughs) Kong. And, And that's where we are pretty much for the rest of the movie. 
Right. Right. And she's got yep. with her, she's got this suitcase that's got this cardiac monitoring unit. So she mm-hmm. can see in real time all the agitation Kong's heart is enduring. But there is a really beautiful scene where Kong and Lady Kong are sort of getting to know each other and they're sitting together in the hills and like Kong like tries to feed her a big snake, but she doesn't want to eat it. All right, stop. This is my favorite scene in the movie. And, and I think we need to go over it. In excruciating detail? Yes. No, this this really needs to be laid out in full. So, all right. So the, the army's been trying to do all these roadblocks and, and um, Linda Hamilton is driving this giant truck. She's actually sort of showing her character as more of a badass and she's really in charge. And uh, the adventurer... He was driving a Corvette or -hmm. something that he rented, and she kind of runs him off the road and says, Mm -hmm. you you can't drive that anymore. You got to come with me. So she kind of manhandles him, and they run off to chase Kong and Lady Kong, and they narrowly escape a roadblock, and the army chases them, and they sort of take her truck up further into the hills. They go off-roading, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then we cut. there's this cut to a sign, like a Parks and Rec sign that says Honeymoon Ridge. (laughs) And we pan over from Honeymoon Ridge and see this beautiful landscape of the mountains. And then we cut to Kong and Lady Kong sitting side by side. Okay, and then the first thing that happens is Kong has like a clump of trees in front of him and he's offering one of these trees to as food to Lady Kong. He's trying to flirt a little bit. He's trying to make friends. Yeah. And this is where we're seeing the articulation in these, mm-hmm. these masks, these ape masks, because as they're going through these motions, they're grinning and smiling at each other and winking and laughing. <laughs> Before I go on any further, like the way this next scene plays out is like, imagine... Like a silent pantomime Charlie Chaplin type of like, uh-huh. you know, like a Charlie Chaplin sitting next to some dame and trying to court her. Scooting over on the park bench. And- <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So then Lady Kong edges towards him and she's about to take the tree as he's holding it out to her, but quickly snatches one of the better trees from this pile, the stash that he's got below him. <laughs> Which angers Kong, and she's like, ha, 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 ha. I tricked you. <laughs> so Kong gets up in a huff. He's using this kind of like, well, fuck you language, and he throws down his tree, and he kind of gives her the cold shoulder, and she's smiling. She's chomping on the, the tree that she snuck from his pile. <laughs> and then Kong sort of lumbers over to this rock and just randomly pulls out a giant python, yeah. which is actually a little like baby gopher snake. Mm-hmm. That they used as a prop, but right. the, the the scale is all off. So this python that he just randomly grabbed out of this hillside is about like thirty feet long, mm-hmm. and, he, <laughs> and he he's waving it over, and he goes over to her. He hops over, and he kind of throws it in her face as a joke, and she turns over and goes like, "Bah!" <laughs> and he and he laughs and giggles like he just pranked her. And then she, he, he realizes he did something wrong and he kind of fucked up and she shoes him away with her hand. She's like, get away from me. And so he drops the snake and he kind of mopes over 
off away from her and then realizes he has like a, a little wound on his knee that he got while getting the snake, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he sort of cries a little bit and he, he kind of looks over her longingly and says, can you help me? And then Lady Kong comes over and she looks at his wound and she picks up some water from a stream and mm-hmm. she kind of dresses his wound and he, he yells in pain a little bit. Wow, you really meticulously. <laughs> and as she's, no, oh no, this is my favorite scene in the movie. It's incredible. The whole time they're like smirking and using expressions literally that you would see in in like a a, a one act stage play. Right. You know, of two people sitting on a, on a park bench. And so she's dressing his wound and then he starts nodding his head and, and he kind of like does this thing as she's dressing his wound. Like he does that where you sort of stretch your back and then you reach over with yep. one arm and you, he puts <laughs> his arm around her back. and Yeah, the movie theater move. Yeah, the movie theater move. But then you see him go lower and he gooses her and grabs her ass. <laughs> and she kind of jumps and she yells at him and, and then she giggles a little bit. And then he's got this look on his face. These kind of eyes are half masked like, yeah. He sort of looks like <laughs> Pepe the Frog sort of grinning a little bit and he could definitely see like he's kong's getting really horny now like you know he knows he's gonna get lucky and then they kind of draw closer to each other and they give each other bedroom eyes and that's the end of the scene it's almost like a little like a like a a valentine's card like i'm bananas Uh over you And then we immediately cut to Linda Hamilton and Safari Guy, which they are going to repeat this interaction themselves. They sure are. They have sort of like gone off and had their own sort of adventure following along with the Kongs. At one point, he asks her if her cardiac monitoring unit is her makeup kit which is, was a really sexist remark, but she takes that in stride. But then she she almost falls off a rickety bridge into the rapids, and he gets this scratch on his arm for saving her. So she's got to tend to his wound, and she's also got to change out of her wet clothes. So that sort of sets the stage for their romantic interlude, because night falls, and they're sort of watching the apes as they're settling into like a little bit of a domestic routine. And she's noticing that from the monitor that Kong's heart is getting stronger. And, you know, Lady Kong is grooming Kong, which, you know, we all know in ape languages, that might as well just be sex. One point, Mitch calls Skull Island Kong Island, which really bugged me. He's like, well, they could go live on Kong Island. I'm like, dude, it's not Kong Island, but whatever. You skipped over the part where... When he says, like, oh, your clothes are wet, I think you, you might want to change your clothes. And she's like, she just rips off her clothes at yep. that point. Yeah. And yes. sort of sort of throws him. He's he's a little, like, taken aback. He doesn't quite know how to handle that. So at this point, Linda Hamilton is really being forward with him. Yes, she's taking the more aggressive role in this relationship, for sure. Well, they're they're just, you know, they're watching the Kongs getting down a little bit. They can see the Kong love is coming. And mm-hmm. they uh, are also just ready to, to do what they feel because... Well, well, what happens, though, is Mitch is, uh, is a gentleman and he lets uh, Linda Hamilton have the sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. So he's sort of left out... In the cold. Well, then Linda Hamilton opens up the sleeping bag and delivers the line, 
we're primates too, I think was, was that it? That's correct. <laughs> that is the line and invites him into our sleeping bag. Yes. And then we know. We there know. was another good line right before that, that I remember where he was kind of getting the, the sleeping arrangements ready and he was sort of building a little bed of leaves for her. And she kind of yeah. gives him this look like, what are you doing? And he said, but hey, it worked for Kong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, he wasn't wrong. It did work for Kong and it worked for him. I just like the idea that they're taking flirtation notes from Kong and Lady Kong at this point. <laughs> well, I think as we all should. I think if more people mm-hmm. took flirtation notes from Kong and Lady Kong, we wouldn't need Tinder or any of those things. <laughs> people would just people would just have it down. Mm-hmm. Kong to his defense was being very chivalrous. He was. Up until he was he was being sort of a jerk with the snake and stuff. For a raging ape that had 10 years before destroyed a big chunk of New York and like thrown people <laughs> out of subway trains and stuff, he was, yeah, he was, he's become quite a gentleman in that time. And that time in the coma has really mellowed him out. All right. Are we ready to move on from this incredible scene? Yeah. I, I don't know, I don't Troy. Know. Are we ready? <laughs> I, I do like to linger. And I did actually rewind it and watch this a few times. So I have definitely spent my time on this scene. So the next morning they wake up and they find that Kong is gone. But don't worry, he hasn't left Lady Kong in the lurch. He's gone out to get some trees for him and her to eat. He's just like carrying around like a bunch of trees he's ripped out of the ground. The army copters show up to flush out the apes and they're doing it by, I guess, spraying chemicals or something all over the place. They're spraying something out of the helicopters, which I wasn't really sure what it was supposed to be. But it's like a gas or something. And mm-hmm. Lady Kong gets doused in the gas and passes out as Kong is sort of rushing back to the campsite to help. But the army manages to get a net around Lady Kong and they go full force on Kong as they're whisking her away in this net that's being carried by helicopters. And this is where, to Troy's point, it really turns into what did you say? Uh, First Blood meets Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah, it really goes full on first blood Harry and the Hendersons here because Kong sort of climbs up this mountain and the army is going after him and this rainstorm starts to rage. Mm -hmm. And Mitch and Amy, of course, are trying to appeal to Colonel Nevitt, but, you know, he just wants to kill Kong. And then they're shooting at him and Kong's throwing boulders down at them from this mountain. Uh, They've got him cornered here, so he leaps spectacularly into this raging river, and it's a pretty amazing shot of a person in an ape suit, like, doing a leaping into a river stunt. So he lands in the river, and then he, he, like, face plants on this giant rock that's in the the river and bleeds out. When he jumps into this river... He's fully submerged. So this river is like 200 yes. feet deep. Yes, yes. Where prior to that, thought. you know, it was it was basically like streams. You're looking at streams, something you would imagine like kayaking in. Kong lands in this river and completely disappears. Yes. Goes totally underwater. Under the water. So we're actually talking about like a fjord. Right. So and Kong is, I, is, I believe 
40 feet tall. So this river has got to be at least 40 feet deep. So that's a, that's a pretty deep river. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, he face plants on this boulder and there's like a big splotch of blood in it as he sort of sinks back into the water. And Amy is monitoring on her cardiac monitor and it flatlines. So they believe that Kong is dead. Well, that's when Nevitt says, too, he's like, not even your Kong could survive that. <laughs> and he was just talking about hitting his head on a rock, right? Or falling into the river and hitting his head on the whole the whole kit and caboodle. So, yeah, so now we're thinking Kong is dead and we're all very sad because Kong's died yet again. You know, the months go by. I'm not sure how many months, but I think it's a pretty long time. I think it was like was three it months. Yeah, it's like three months I thought we were talking about like the next day. I totally missed this. No. Okay. Troy, think about it. What what are we about to learn about Lady Kong? They, and they never thought to just check the down river to see where Kong was. Right. They just totally <laughs> dismissed him. Like, oh, he's he's a goner. He's underwater in this giant fjord. It's this giant river. He's just gone. We'll never find him. He's in the abyss. We'll <laughs> never find a 50-foot tall ape. That won't wash up anywhere. It's just gone forever. They toy with the idea that he might be alive. And then somebody mentions, well, there's no nutrients. There's no sustenance that he could be eating. But we find out he is alive and he is eating. What's he eating, Troy? He's eating a, a huge collection of crocodiles that he's been fishing <laughs> out of. Those are alligator. Those are alligators. Are they alligators Troy? in Atlanta? Well, because. It, yeah, we don't have because Atlanta's and... teeming with alligators in these rivers. Well, they're definitely not teeming with crocodiles. Okay, it's 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 alligators. It's, it's, it's alligators, and this is my second favorite scene in the film because we're getting uh, like the shots of like the baby gators, like they're doing and like cl up close with like it's definitely a baby gator face. And then like yes. we're getting like an, another shot of like a full grown alligator. And then Kong is yeah. just walking around with like three or four alligators is like hanging out of his mouth. And he's it's, got it's, like the, them all like tied together by their tails. And like you said, like the same trick they did with the snake, they're they're using little babies mm -hmm. when he's holding them. And you're right, they, these babies have like giant cute eyes and the little tiny snouts. Yeah. They're obvious. They look nothing like a full-grown alligator at all. No, no. And he's, he's got like a bushel of them or whatever. <laughs> he's just been collecting alligators out of this river in Georgia. Well, he's in like well, a swamp. I mean, a swamp now. Okay. Now he's in a swamp. Okay. <laughs> but he's doing fine. He's actually doing better than when he was trying to eat trees in Honeymoon Ridge. Well, he's not doing totally fine because he's really hurting inside for Lady Kong. He sits in his swamp cave with all the alligator bones in it, and he stares love longingly at the moon, and the he can moon. hear the anguished sounds of Lady Kong's howling carried upon the wind. When it shows the skeletons that he's picked off all the flesh from these alligators, there's like hundreds of them. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. this massive pile of alligator skeletons that he's been feasting on. Yeah, apparently they aren't monitoring the alligator population in <laughs> Georgia because they probably noticed some shocking discrepancies. Like, where are all the alligators going? I don't know. And poor poor Lady Kong, it's like we, we do get shots of her in this army 
holding facility. She looks like she's in some sort of silo. It's a silo. Yeah, it is a silo. Yeah, it it's okay. It's it's just awful. And I I think like sometimes the top is open because she's looking at the moon as well and crying. Yeah. But she won't eat. And that's when they when uh, Linda Hamilton and Adventure Ken show up and they find out that she like hasn't eaten or slept for and they say for like three months or something like yeah. that. Like she's really been in mourning. But then we find out there's more to that. We find out there's a reason for that, but I don't believe it is revealed yet. Mm. Mitch has been off in Borneo trying to secure some land there for Lady Kong, I guess. And he comes home to a warm welcome from Amy. So they're still together. Their dating is going well, I guess. Amy is concerned that Lady Kong is dying. So Mitch is determined to get in there and check it out himself. But they have to sort of get their way through the army guys. And they run into this army redneck that Mitch hits with the butt of his rifle. This is introducing an element of rednecks into the movie, which I really appreciated this element. <laughs> I really enjoy rednecks in movies, especially 80s rednecks. There, there really was a time when the best thing you could do with your movie is to veer right into redneck country. And it was a big thing in the 80s. They even make a uh, there's a line in the movie where somebody says, like, what is this deliverance? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they they stumble upon like the, the vigilante rednecks that are mm-hmm. out to try to hunt Kong. Well, the way this yep. all gets put into motion is Kong is leaving the swamp to follow Lady Kong's anguished cries. And he's he comes to this farmhouse or whatever, and he looks into the farmhouse and there are these two redneck teens <laughs> necking. <laughs> So they, they look up and see Kong staring in at them. So they freak out and the whole podunk town freaks out at the, the sight of Kong. And we get all these hillbilly hijinks, which will continue on for quite a while. And this instigates the drunken redneck hunting party, which is really awesome because they're, they're all sort of gathering and getting ready to go Kong hunting. And then... Who is somebody? Is it somebody comes up to them and is like, What the hell are you guys doing, or whatever? And they're like, We're going to find us an ape and we're drunk. (laughs) (laughs) But so, anyway, Mitch and Amy have a prop plane now and they're sort of following the army copters around to track Kong. But who cares about that? Because we are treated to a scene which is my favorite scene in the movie where these rednecks figure out they can trap Kong by dynamiting a ravine and causing an avalanche that buries Kong up to his neck. <laughs> so, <laughs> which, yeah, this scene is awesome. Which I really don't know how that works, but somehow Kong is buried up by, with so many rocks up to his neck. And so they have this like campfire party next to Kong's head. And this was their plan. Like they were waiting with giant sticks of dynamite that they had previously planted in the the walls of the canyon, waiting for this. Like they'd set this trap. Not a bad idea, as it turns out, because (laughs) it proves successful. So they're all psyched that they've trapped Kong and he's still Kong is still fully conscious and just sort of howling and angrily at them. And they're partying (laughs) with a campfire (laughs) And the lead redneck, which I wish I knew the actor's name because I really appreciate his performance, wants to get Kong drunk 
So he's like pouring booze into Kong's mouth, but then Kong spits the booze back at him. Then he goes to burn Kong with fire, and one of the rednecks tries to stop him, but the rest of them all want to burn Kong. So they start burning Kong with fire they've taken from the campfire, and that angers Kong enough for him to break free of the rubble and go after the rednecks, one of them whom he he snaps in half sort of gruesomely. And really satisfyingly, he grabs up the head redneck who's really been instigating all of this and eats him, burps, and then picks his ball cap out of his teeth. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, and he lingers for a while. He's like really digging into his teeth and he's trying to get way back there and he pulls out this little baseball hat and he kind of looks at it and just Mm -hmm. chucks it on the ground. And then not only that, but afterwards, Kong kind of walks around and he starts to sort of punch at his chest. And it's because he has a heart condition. But at first I was like, are we to assume that the redneck gave him indigestion? <laughs> Is he having some acid reflux? That's what my my mind immediately went to that. <laughs> Because of this whole redneck situation, Kong is now having heart problems. And Amy can see that on her monitor that she's carrying around. And apparently the monitor also gives her the ability to correct Kong's heart somehow. But Kong is sort of charging at them and they've got the monitor on the ground. And then Kong steps on the cardiac monitor before she can complete the sequence, as she says. And now we know that Kong is doomed he won't last a day, but we still get some fun because he heads into the suburbs and steps on a DeLorean. A Lamborghini. Was it a Lamborghini? I thought it was a DeLorean. I think it, it was like a, a Lamborghini from Miami Vice. It was the same oh, nice. kind of, I think it was like one of those, but it had, it, I know what you mean because it had the doors that kind of go up in a yeah. weird direction. That's what I thought. I thought they yeah. were taking a jab at Back to the Future. Like, <laughs> you think you're cool Back to the Future? Kong's going to step on your DeLorean. <laughs> Maybe it was and they just couldn't get a DeLorean. So they got something that sort of looked like it. Because it, it does mm-hmm. look like a silver futuristic car with doors that swing open in a in a kind of stupid way. So Kong has been stumbling through redneck country. I think at one point he, he, he hasn't gone to the barn dance yet, right? No, that's not. That's yet. later. Okay, so he's going through suburban Georgia. And so now we're seeing yuppies and there's these two kids and they're trying to get into their it's his dad's car. They're like two college kids or teenagers and they're wearing the sweaters and they're they're definitely fit the 80s yuppie preppy villain boy kind of look. And then Kong comes running up to them and they run out away from the car and he smashes the car. And then they look at each other and he says, dude, my dad's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was their response to a giant ape almost killing them. What are the, and then yeah. I think some other people, they're playing golf and they see. Yep. Yeah. Kong gets hit by in the eye by a golf ball. <laughs> He's not happy about it. It's not a very dignified moment for Kong. So we're getting a, a good overview of the diversity of 80s Georgia during this time, you've got your rednecks and your yuppies and your golfers. Well, to that point, I feel like at this point in the movie, it becomes just sort of an 80s smorgasbord of yes. stuff that happens in 80s mm-hmm. movies, really, is what it is. Yes. 
And so we get this sort of big battle between Kong and the army, which is this part of the movie I find pretty boring. They're sort of just having this face off in this sandy, this conveniently sandy area. And, you know, we're just seeing a lot of miniature cars get get blown up and stuff. I mean, if you're here for the kaiju action, this is probably your scene, but I'm not really here for the kaiju action with this movie here. I'm here for the romance. Amy and Mitch managed to outsmart the silo guards and get to Lady Kong, and this is where we discover that she's pregnant with Kong's child. How did we discover that? Yeah, uh, no, because she looks at her and she just knows. I think that was Amy's just being okay. the doc, the doctor that she is. She was like, can't you see? She's pregnant. She just knows because she's a woman. You know how right. that is. Okay, right. We know, we, we know, we just know. I, I could not mention the plot keywords on IMDb for this film. It's childbirth, uh-huh. <laughs> gorilla, <laughs> giant gorilla, mm-hmm. heart rate monitor, <laughs> and redneck and redneck so if you're a fan of any of those things any of those things you definitely want to check out king kong lives mm-hmm. so what happens is amy and mitch figure out that this silo is really a giant hydraulic lift in which they can actually lift lady kong out of the silo but the army comes to stop them and this is where Lady Kong snatches up Mitch in the role reversed Fay Ray thing where she's carrying a blonde man around. It doesn't last for very long, unfortunately. I wish this went to through to the end of the movie and we just got Mitch like, help! <laughs> she's running around. But she, ends up, she ends up like putting him back down, which is disappointing. But Kong shows up and he he's at the silo hatch and he's tearing it apart so that they can get free and he pulls lady kong out amy climbs out of the silo and follows them in an army truck so kong still does have mitch in his hand at this point but this is where we get to the redneck barn dance and this is where the movie is going to reach its climax There's this redneck family having like a hoedown. I don't know if it's a shotgun wedding. No, it's a family reunion because he because he says you never know who you're gonna run into at a family reunion. Oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, they're having this family reunion, and these two giant apes show up, and Amy just sort of collapses into the redneck's giant barn which sort of sets the stage for her to give birth, much like Mary in the manger for the birth of Jesus. Just like... You said Amy. Lady Kong collapses into the... Oh, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, Lady Kong. I get Amy and Lady Kong. Right. It's easy to get them mixed up. Well, in Congo, there's an uh, an ape named Amy. Amy. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. That so doesn't help So that's honestly things. why I'm getting them confused. It's understandable. Other than the the similarities between Lady Kong and Amy and their romantic lives. Well, the movie is forcing us to draw parallels between these two couples constantly, so... Yes, definitely. <laughs> but also at this barn dance, like, some people are, they're either drunk or it's just kind of an 80s thing to do, but they, you know, there's one guy who gets his girl and she hops on his motorcycle and they, like, ride between Kong's legs just for a yeah. dare. <laughs> So that's what you do at it's, family it's reunions. It's the moment in most '80s movies where it's it's just screwball comedy mixed with adventure, and you're right. And then a lot of people run away, and Lady Kong just sort of collapses 
into the barn, like smashes the barn and falls into a bed of hay. A convenient giant bed of hay. Like I said, like Mary in a manger. I think people are, they're like firing shotguns around going, yeehaw. And- yeah, it's pretty great, honestly. But the army does eventually show up to sort of spoil the party. And, you know, Nevitt's in charge with his tank. Kong goes ape shit on the army, um, pun intended. And That's right. You know, he's throwing around tanks and stuff. And at one point he tosses the tank that Nevit is on into a great, a nearby graveyard. <laughs> this scene's so good. He, he throws Nevit into the graveyard and then does he step on him and like buries him in the graveyard, right? He like, he crushes him into an open grave with his, with his fist. fist. Okay. Yes. It's an open grave and he smashes him into the open grave. That's right. Burying him. Just like Charles Grodin. Exactly. It's a kind of a replay of the Charles Grodin getting stepped on scene from the first movie. The villain is crushed by Kong, but in this case, he's literally crushed into a waiting grave. Yeah, it's awesome. This that shot is is incredible. But you know, at this point, Kong's been so beaten up that he's pretty much on the verge of death. So With the army sort of vanquished, he goes to the barn to witness the birth of his child. And at this point, the army guys are sort of like, they've stopped trying to kill Kong and they just want to let him die in peace. And Kong witnesses the birth of his child, who we'll call Lil Kong. I don't know what (laughs) the real name for him is, but it's just a normal sized person in a gorilla suit, basically. And this scene goes on for at least five minutes where we're just getting like a series of close-up shots of Kong, of Lady Kong, and they're crying. Kong. They're all crying. This music is playing. Like you're supposed to be bawling your eyes out. Like if you cried in the 76 Kong, like you're a hysterical blubbering mess here because they just keep going and it goes on and on and on and linda linda hamilton is sobbing too like you get there's a lot of like kong just just touching the baby kong's forehead and stroking Yeah, he's reaching for baby kong and then touching baby kong and stroking and baby kong's just kind of smiling going (laughs) daddy (laughs) also you mentioned the music i i just wanted to say that there was um there is definitely a love theme that is played throughout this movie. Every time you see Kong and Lady Kong kind of look at each other, there's this theme that goes, that's playing over and over again in this final scene where the, where baby Kong and Kong and the family of Kong is together. I think you could take this five minutes of film with that music and probably drive somebody crazy like you could maybe (laughs) interrogate a terrorist with it and get information you needed like if you made them watch it for like seven days straight it's just like waterboarding and it may be more cruel actually but yeah it's ridiculously drawn out and then everybody gathers around kong dies again and everybody gathers around the body of kong sort of lying in this barn and you know yeah we get this sort of final shot of everybody mourning kong as he lays there dead but don't be too sad because there is one more scene 
we go to Borneo, the jungles of Borneo, and here we find that Mitch has made good on his promise to secure Lady Kong and Lil Kong some land. So they're living in peace in Borneo, and Little Kong is swinging on vines Tarzan style as mm-hmm. Lady Kong looks lovingly upon him. Linda Hamilton and Adventure Ken are there too, right? Yes, they are yeah, there. Everybody's there. witnessing this joy. They're they're kind of all friends at the end, and this is looks like how they're going to spend the rest of their lives. Yeah. Not really, <laughs> not really doing scientific research, but just kind of being chums. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Basking in the glory of this new family. Put the world behind them. And now it's just about being friends with and bringing up baby. Sounds good to me. Probably expecting Linda Hamilton to reproduce as well at some point. I'm surprised we didn't see that Linda Hamilton was pregnant. I'm sure that was written in there at some point and they just probably thought it best to not have that, but it seemed like it was he- definitely heading in that direction. Every other beat was followed. If they were going to have a sequel to this fine film, that that would have been included. I would have liked to seen Baby Linda Hamilton and Baby Kong play together, like splashing in a in a river and grabbing snakes and throwing them at each other. Linda Hamilton said, "Put that snake down, Kong." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so why why do you think this didn't do well? Troy, do you have any insights into this? We're talking about the 80s. Like, this is the same year also as Howard the Duck, which you also covered. Like, this was yes. mm-hmm. this was definitely a, a period where anything goes, and it was kind of a crapshoot. Nobody really had the formula down yet for what worked and what didn't. And even the most successful movies around this time were totally ridiculous. So... What I remember about this when I was a kid is that there was zero marketing. You know, there was nothing. This, and that's why I thought it was a straight-to-video movie. I don't remember this being advertised or playing in theaters at all. It was dumped unceremoniously. I'm sure that the studio or whatever took one look at this thing and was like, there's no way. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> this was like, this was just dead in the water, I'm sure, from the get go, because it's just so ridiculous. You can't buy into the reality of this at all in any way. Yeah, but like I said, this is same year Howard the Duck came out. Right, which was also a huge failure. It was a big failure, but but that movie was sort of pushed on everybody, at least. That had George Lucas's name on it, so I think that they managed to just sort of push that on people. They figured they'd just throw as much marketing money as they could at it, and it would do some business. Yeah. But I think they just looked at this and were like, no tax way. Tax write-off. <laughs> yeah, tax yeah. write-off all the way. <laughs> There's just no way. I'm sure they test screened it too and were met with like laughter at every turn. I mean, it it had to have been the stupidest movie of 1986, right? I mean, is there a stupider movie that you can think of? No, this is even stupider than Jason Lives, which was pretty stupid. Jason Lives is stupid, but it's successful at what it's doing. If If the goal of this movie is to make you cry over... Kong's love, it has failed. (laughs) Or get sort of roused by the sweet (laughs) ape action that's happening. Right. It's a good date movie. <laughs> Can you imagine going on a date and like <laughs> trying to get some action by oh my watching God. 
I'm sure it happened too. Yeah. I'd love to know if there was ever if anybody has like a marriage that began the courtship began with a taking in a King Kong. Like as Kong's doing the movie theater stretch <laughs> to reach over to Lady Kong and and your date follows suit. Uh, if anyone out there had their romance begin with King Kong Lives, we need to hear from you. Yes. I need to know what happened. How's it going? Are you still together? <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm, I'm agreeing with what Troy has said as far as, you know, there were so many other things to see that year. I don't have any recollection of this marketing at all. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate because had they marketed this I guess more to kids. I don't know if that would have been with the love angle. I'm not sure. It's like, it's something though that if had it been marketed better or maybe, I don't know, it wasn't even on TV a whole bunch it, in my my world at least. I, like I said, I, I wasn't really aware of this. I feel like it at least could have been accepted by kids just because you're getting to see Kong and Lady Kong, you know, and that's kind of exciting because it's not for anybody else. No. Like, I, I kind of feel like kids would have been all it could be for. And it's certainly, I mean, I was the right age for it and it wasn't wasn't marketed to me and it wasn't marketed to Troy. So no, I don't know. I think the fact that it's all about Kong being horny made it not for kids. Like who? That's what I'm saying too. It's like, yeah, it's weird because it's it's the Kong love Yeah, it's gross. You know? it's, it's gross. It's, yeah. It's gross. <laughs> you just don't really want to see it. Well, and if you were a no. seven-year-old kid, say you were the age that I was when the original 76 King Kong came out, you would have thought this was all gross, like icky, ew, it's all yeah. Kong right. and his girlfriend, yuck, you know? like And I, and the relationship with Linda Hamilton and, and her beau, like it's just too much of what you don't want to see. Like yeah. Yeah. you can tolerate that for a scene. There's always a good sex scene where right. the, the heroes hook up, but then you don't linger that on that for the rest of the movie or throughout the movie, which is what this did. It was just constant flirting between the two hero characters and gross flirting with the creature characters. Yeah. They like went right into a place where they shouldn't have gone. Yeah. Even though, I can objectively look at it and say, well, they tried to take the story of Kong somewhere sort of interesting, I guess. You know, what are you going to do? Have Kong just rage in another city or whatever? Is he going to tear apart Los Angeles this time? No, you got to do something with it. But this was not the thing to do. Yeah, it's like they kind of looked back at the original Kong and say they thought, well, you know, there was Son of Kong. That was a sequel. Let's really explore that. Like right. courtship and the, <laughs> the, the actual conception. <laughs> How does that work? I'm just still also marveling because I, I was writing this down as we were you know, watching it. And you brought this up earlier, Sebastian. But it's like the people behind this. How? I mean, that's it's got the alien pedigree and, you know, and, yeah. and the director, you know, it's like the same director and he, you know, did other. I don't know. It's just there was there was definitely some talent behind this. This was directed by John Gillerman, who is the same director of the 76 Kong. But 
I remember reading some things about him and he had sort of fallen on hard times as a director at this yeah. point. This was a sort of a desperate move to get his career back on track. So Yeah, he didn't really do much. I was looking at his... He did The Towering Inferno, which is right, a, a right, fun right. film. It's... And he did Death on the Nile, which I love. Um... He's done some movies. But Linda Hamilton survived yes. this really well. She also, oh, that same year, she did another kind of snoozer, uh, Black Moon Rising, which I totally remember. She went right into Beauty and the Beast, I think, after this, yeah. which was like a, a big deal. That's right. Yeah, so she did fine. Yeah, she's no second banana. My favorite. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to go get a heart transplant and uh, eat a bunch of alligators and uh, go attend a redneck family reunion. <laughs> <laughs> that about does it today for tentpole trauma if you like what you heard check out our social media presence on instagram facebook and twitter just look for tentpole trauma that was easy wasn't it if you like us hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on itunes if you dare if you really like us head over to patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon. <laughs> <laughs>